me just give you a real quick little roundup of what we're doing here, um, and particularly for those of you who are who are visiting with us. Uh, we every spring pass out a ballot of messages and series of messages that I've done or that we've done here in the last year, year and usually last two years. And, um, and people can vote and they can say, you know, I'd like to hear this one again. Or, you know, usually it's, I want my husband to hear this one again or something like that. And, uh, and this one was, this was a message that I, at least the core of it, I've changed um, quite a few things, but the core of it was a message that I, that I uh, brought here, that I spoke here, um, April the 1st of 07. So about a year, a year and four months ago or so. And it was in a series, it was called The Power of You, Change Your World. And uh, we talked about a lot of different things in that series, but we started off with this particular message, which is, which is about faith and, and when faith makes a difference. Because I want to address my, my goal then, my goal now is to, that faith does make a difference when it is good faith. And there is a difference, and I, I, I don't shy from saying this, there is a difference between good faith and there is a thing called bad faith. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, what's, what's he going to do with this if you didn't, weren't here a year? If you were here a year and four months ago, you probably forgot anyway. You know, I go back and I read the notes and I'm like, and I wrote the stuff, you know, and I, and I, and I spoke it. Then it was two, two Sundays, two times, now it's three times. And I'll go back and I'm like, I don't remember this. So if I'm like that, I know you are. So you don't have to lie about that. Um, uh, anyway, not that you would. Um, so I, as some of you might be thinking, okay, hey, what's Rich going to do? He's going to tee off against, you know, Muslims or Islam or, can, you know, Buddhism or, or, or that's bad faith. Um, when am I going to do that? You know, what's he, I'm going to tee off against the, the communist Olympics. So what are you, you going to do here? Um, I'm not going to do any of that. I want, to, I want to deal with the fact that there really is a thing called bad faith. And let's be honest about that. I think most of us are, are sophisticated to the level to realize the old adage that, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe just as long as you really believe it. I think we all realize that's not true. Uh, if nothing else, certainly 9-11 was one great reminder that believing the wrong thing can indeed hurt people and kill people. Unfortunately, there are other examples of bad faith before that. In some cases, extremism group, extremist groups from Christians. Uh, KKK was formed out of a Christian group, supposedly, you know, back in the early part of the last century, really the, the, the 19th century, um, or the late, latter part of the 19th century. Um, so there, there are many examples of that. So it's important that we really deal with this subject of what's good faith, what's bad faith. So here's what we're going to do. And if you, don't, if you haven't been here much, you, you don't know this, but if you have, you do know this, and that is I normally just, just jump right into the Bible and, and start talking about whatever passage we're going to talk about. I'm, only gonna, I'm going to do that later today because I want to I set the scene for you uh, for some things, and then I'm going to jump into that. Really, I got a very short message, just kind of a long introduction. You know, that's basically what it amounts to. And and some of these things, that I'm going to I'm going to go through a list of what bad faith is and what good faith is. Some of these things I have borrowed, I have lifted, whatever you want to call it, from a book that I like a lot called Finding Faith by Brian McLaren. Now, I'll be careful with that because whenever, and I'm always careful to say this, whenever I mention an author, don't go pick up anything by Brian McLaren and think, oh, Rich agrees with this because I don't know if that's true about anything that I read. I do, I do particularly appreciate this book, but that he has said some things, and I, and I know him a little, and, and he has said some things that... that um, that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. But I like some of the things that he said in this book, and some of this is based on that, just so you'll know. So let's just jump into this. What's bad faith? I want to go through this kind of quickly, 
but, but I want to make sure you get the point. All right, bad faith. Just what do you mean by bad faith, Rich? Um, bad faith is based solely on unquestioned authority. Okay? That's the first thing. It's based solely on unquestioned authority. Um, I believe this simply because an authority figure or a structure or the church tells me to believe that. There's no thinking. There's no, certainly no questioning. And there's a balance here, and I want to make that clear. There's a balance here between the tried and tested people in authority and structures that can help us on our journey of faith, but there's also the mindless, blind, unquestioning faith that is bad. And that's what I'm talking about. Mindless, unquestioning, you know, that's what the church says. Well, so... Maybe the church is wrong about that particular issue. Whatever it happens to be, I think some of us have, have been through some of that through our lives, and we realize, okay, I'm not just going to... And one of the things, you know, I, I don't have this verse for you. It's in Acts. It's either 17.11 or 11.17. I'll get that all mixed. You know, you get those numbers turned around. I have that thing that inverts them and so forth. But it's either Acts 17.11 or 11.17. Uh, the Apostle Paul there says that, that the, the Christians at Berea, that's a particular place where he had started a church, in the first century. He says, the Christians, the Berean Christians were more noble-minded, he says, because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what I said was true. So here's the Apostle Paul holding up a group of believers in Berea because they searched the Scriptures daily to make sure what he said. They didn't even take the word of the great Apostle Paul. They said, let me see if the Bible says that, Paul. So don't take it for, don't take it for great just because Rich says it. You know, you might want to check it out, okay? Uh, I, granted, I try to research my stuff pretty well, and I'm pretty careful with what I say, but hey, we're all fallible. So that's one of the things everybody should be questioned. Thankfully, we have, that's why the Bible's so important. We can go to the Bible and, and read it. Is that what the Bible says? We can find out for ourselves. So bad faith is based solely on unquestioned authority. Bad faith is based on pressure, coercion. Part of my childhood was spent in a, in a church where they would pressure you to, to come to Christ. You say, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a good thing, but, but I don't, I'm not so sure that's a good thing to pressure. I, I can tell you it's not a good thing to pressure people to come to Christ. You know, God is very capable of working in the heart of an individual himself without me trying to pressure someone into, into, into you know, becoming a follower of Christ or whatever. Listen, persuasion is not a bad thing. But when it comes to pressure, decide now. You know, don't, don't, don't you, you know, whether I'm at a car dealer or in a church and I'm told I got to make a decision right now, that's probably not a good thing usually. And I think most of us probably maturity has taught us that. But sometimes when we're in church, we you know, got to make a decision and you need to make a decision right now. Listen, bad faith is based on pressure and coercion. And so many times people of faith, and particularly in my position, use pressure and coercion um, to move people. And that's not always a good thing and it certainly doesn't last. Bad faith is often the result of a psychological need for belonging. There's nothing wrong by the way. We all have a need to belong. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. But, but some people will do anything. We've seen this throughout the years. Some people who will compromise their morals to belong to a certain group or a certain you know, subset, subculture, or whatever it might happen to be. Um, 
the church, you know, is the only place some people can find, and they want and they want to belong so badly, and they just that's just a psychological need. Now, there's a fine balance here as well because I hope, I pray, really, that if you're a regular, we don't really have members here, but we have. You know, you could. You know, that's a semantical argument. We don't have a membership role because it's, it's, it's stupid. I mean, I'm sorry, it's just stupid. <laughs> Did you read that? I just read this. I just read this last night. I'm going to pick on somebody here. I have a lot of friends who are Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists have have a, a large number of dead people on their roles, on their on their membership roles. I'm serious. They they do, and and it's just because it's not that they're trying to. And this particular article is in Christianity this this month's Christianity Today. It was talking about how it gave the number. It was using Southern Baptists because they it's really hard to get off of their membership roles once you join. It's real hard to get off. Some of you probably are a member of a Southern Baptist church somewhere that you have ever joined it. You, you can't get off. And this particular article was talking about how it's hilarious, and, and they didn't mean it to be hilarious, but I laughed. Um, it, was, it was like, and I can't remember the, the numbers, but it was like how many people nationwide in America attend Southern Baptist churches and the number that they have that are members. And it was like, it was, I mean, it was just ridiculous, like 10%, you know. Of, of, of those who are members. And of course, it's because a lot of people, the membership, for whatever reason. All I'm telling you is this. There's really only one membership that counts. That's being part of, 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 of God's family. And if you're a member of Renaissance Church, if we had membership or any other church and you're not a part of that, it doesn't matter. And if you're part of that and you're not a member of Renaissance or whatever, that doesn't matter. So, so get, get that all. That's why we don't really do membership here. And, you know, and, and, and we, we do, in a sense, you can belong here. If you come here more than one Sunday and you say this is your church, you're a member, baby. All right? You're a member. All right? And, uh, and, and we count that an honor when people consider this their church. Just want you to know that. It's not that we don't, you know, it's, it's just the whole, it's just, it's just, I don't get it. It's just, I never have understood that whole membership thing. You know, it's just crazy. And it's, it, in some cases, you know, they do it. They say, well, people will give more. Well, that's a poor reason for people to be a member of a church. So they'll give more? I mean, I, I mean, and some people say, well, they feel more accountability. This is the other thing they do. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on this. And I, I don't want to get off on this. They, they say, well, there's more accountability, and if somebody gets into some sort of deep-seated sin, you can go and confront them. Well, that happened to me in the first church that I served. And, and, and we, it was a real, real, I won't go into deep, but a real difficult situation. And so I went to the person, and I said, hey, listen, as your pastor, uh, and you're part of a member of our church, we, we had membership at that church. That's when I, that's when I said, I'm never going to do this again. Um, I didn't start it, so they were all screwed up. So they, they uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, so I said, you know, you're really in deep, deep, deep trouble here. You know, you're, you're, you're messing around, a whole, you know, you're married and you left your husband, you're messing around. And, you know, at some point of the church, we're going to have to deal with this. And, and she was like, well, I'm no longer a member. <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> they're, they're, that didn't work, did it? Um, so <laughs> obviously the problem was much deeper. And that, that was in the formative years of ministry that you begin to understand that. So, is there a need to belong? Yeah, there is. But you don't want to be a part of a church. You don't want to be part of a faith movement because of a psychological need to belong. That'd be the wrong motivation. Bad faith appeals to self-interest. Base motives. If, you, if, you, if you're a part of something and you hear claims, if you trust Christ and you belong to this church, your life's going to be great. Well, now, come on. Think about that statement. You're going to have, you're going to have wealth and you're going to have health. And, and some people really teach that. It's very popular teaching in, in many Christian circles today. 
Think about that for a moment. Is that really, is that really true? Have people of faith throughout the generations ever always had wealth and always had health? How about the Apostle Paul? He had a lot of health problems, and he was, I think he was a man of faith. So obviously, if bad faith appeals to self-interest, base motives. Bad faith is arrogant. It's unteachable. When I know I'm right and everybody else is wrong, when my beliefs give me an ability to judge and look down on others, that's bad faith. doesn't mean that I don't draw a line in the sand to say this is wrong and this is right, and I need to do that. I do need to do that. But that doesn't mean I judge others when they don't. Um, bad faith is dishonest. You know, that, that's the other thing. Uh, it, it's dishonest about its doubts. You know, I don't have any doubts. I don't have any questions. I don't have, I, I don't have any, any problem issues. I don't have any problem passages. Uh, that's just not honest. That's not good faith. Bad faith is apathetic. Uh, real faith inspires action. And, and if, if, a, if faith is authentic, a person can't behave the same way as if he had no faith. And I'll just, I'll just conclude my bad faith things here with this last one. Bad faith is a step backward. Listen, growing, maturing people of faith move forward in life. If a person's faith doesn't make them more loving, more wise, more alive to life, and more responsible, then that's bad faith. And that happens all the time in all kinds of different movements of faith, including Christianity. Healthy people don't step backward, they step forward. Doesn't mean that if you're healthy that you might not on occasion take a few steps backward, but then take three steps forward over the whole spectrum of things. Doesn't mean that doesn't happen, because that does happen. We've all experienced that. I, 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 I was reluctant to use this illustration. I used it a year and four months ago. And I, and I don't like using it because it's kind of negative to some people. And I really like these people. And, you know, with the Internet and all this stuff going on, uh, you always worry about who's going to listen to what and so forth. But I'm going to use it anyway because um, it's such a good illustration. And I guess I feel really warmly toward these people because they offered me a position at the time. Maybe, I, maybe if they had said, you know, they hadn't offered me a job, maybe I, would, maybe I wouldn't feel so warmly toward them, but I really do like them. This was, this was, in, a, this was in a church before I came here, and, um, and I, if you were here a year, over a year ago, you heard this story. Um, and it was, one of, it was a, just a long weekend of interviews, and I was speaking two or three times in the church and meeting people, meeting the board, and, and, and you, know, you know, how you do when, when a pastor comes in and candidates. If you've ever been a part of that, it's brutal. And... Um, um, and I, I did this whole thing, and, and it was a Monday morning, and I was just freaking exhausted, man. I was just tired. And I was halfway comatose as a staff member was driving Charlene and I to the airport. And um, I, you know, I was past the point of making polite conversation, and I got to know this guy pretty well. I didn't have to. And, but Charlene was, because she's so much more gracious and more kind and more loving and more everything than me. And, and, but then I'm like, I'm half asleep, and she, I, I hear my wife who is, I'm serious, if you don't know her, she's the sweetest person in the world. And she would never ask, you know, I'm the one that asks obnoxious questions. I'm the one that says obnoxious things. She doesn't do that. That's my job. We, that was in the contract when we got married. I do the obnoxious stuff, you do the sweet, kind stuff. And that's just the way it's always been for 36 years. And we've, we've kept that deal. But she broke the deal, man. She broke the deal. And out of nowhere, she asked this guy, and I'm sitting here, you know, I'm half asleep. 
She says, so how many people in this church do you really think think? Do you hear that question? How many people in this church do you really think think? I'm perked up. I'm like, what the is going on here? Jeez. I'm thinking, honey, come on. You know, I don't think I'm going to come here, but this don't sabotage everything right here now. Um, the only thing more surprising than that whole scenario was the answer. And he was a good guy, and he wasn't being ugly. He wasn't being unkind. He wasn't being ungracious. He said, I don't think we have any. And that, I was like, get me on the airplane. Um, I was shocked. But he was being honest, and I appreciated his honesty. He said, they just pretty much take whatever we tell them. And the truth is, you know what? I believe he was right, and I believe that's right in a lot of places. And as right and as, as easy as that might be, I don't think that's what God had in mind. I think he wants us to search. I think he wants us to study. I think he wants us to examine. I think he wants us to question. Um, he wants us to keep moving forward, but he wants us to do in an honest, you know, and an academically and an intelligent, uh, with some intelligence in terms of your integrity kind of way. Martin Buber wrote a book called Two Types of Faith, and he said this. Reasons, of course, can be urged for it, but they are never sufficient to account for my faith. My rationality, my rational power of thought, is merely a part, a particular function of my nature. When, however, I believe, watch this, when I believe, my entire being is engaged. The totality of my nature enters into the process. Indeed, this becomes possible only because of the relationship of faith is a relationship of my entire being. It's not, oh, here's my faith life, my personal life, and my, my work life. And, you know, you keep these things all separated. Well, no wonder you're screwed up if you try to do that. Because we're whole people. We're complete individuals. And we need to think of it that way. So that's the whole thing. You know, we, we step forward, not backwards. We think, we, 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 we well, we do a whole, let me, let me make a statement. Let me make a statement, and, and I'm going to unpack this one before I get to the Bible, because I want you to see this. Uh, authentic faith, here it is. Authentic faith, you're going to hear this two or three times, has an inward deepening trust in God. Has an inward deepening trust in God that has outward long-term behavioral changes. That says it all. Authentic faith has, has, faith has this inward deepening trust in God, but it has outward long-term behavioral changes. Those changes take place, sometimes they take place just a little bit, sometimes they're big leaps. It's much like you would have if you've, if you've ever had, had your own child or, or had people in your family or, or, or friends who had kids and, and you don't see them for several months and you see that kid and, and you're like, wow, look how much he or she has grown. But the parents, so many times, we don't really see because we're there every day, every minute. You know, it just boom. That's the way it works. That's the way it is with our faith. It just, every day there should be some things that take place. So that's what authentic faith really is. Now I want to unpack that statement for a moment, all right? I'm going to give you three or four very quick things and, and, then, and then just take you, I want to show you what the Bible teaches. Authentic faith is humble, it's teachable, it's, it's inquisitive, um, you know, you know, the sense that I am right and everyone else is wrong, therefore, therefore I'm superior, that's one of the biggest barriers to faith. 
I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Um, in the sense that if there is a God, wouldn't, wouldn't good faith begin by humbling oneself before God? And, I, and we, of course, believe there is a God. Wouldn't it begin by, wouldn't a, a good, healthy faith begin by humbling oneself before God? The Bible tells us that. Humble yourself before God. Um, authentic faith is, is humble. Authentic faith is grateful. It's grateful. Excuse the English in these next two sentences, but I, I could think of no better way to, to say it. There are no more fun people to be around than thankful people. Did you get that? There are no more fun people. There, there's nobody more fun to be around than, than a thankful person. They're grateful, whatever's going on, they're thankful. Conversely, there are no more unfun people. Again, bad English, but get the point. There are, there are no more unfun people to be around than those who are not grateful because they're whiny and they're, you know, whimpery and, they're, and they talk through their nose. And and it, it, it's just like... Get me out of here. You know, and grateful people are up, they're positive, they're affirming, as opposed to the whining, complaining, your basic, I can't say that word, I got it in my notes, but basic jerk kind of person. They're ungrateful. Think about that. The people that you don't enjoy being around, they're usually complaining people. They're usually not very grateful people. The Bible teaches that. Gratefulness, over and over again. Authentic faith is humble. Authentic faith is grateful. Authentic faith is honest. This is so important. Good faith has the freedom to express both doubt and confidence without overstating nor understating their level of confidence. You know, I should be honest about my weaknesses and myself. I should be honest about my faith. And even the questions and doubts that I have about faith. You know, and, and that's, that's part of the issue because sometimes people have a hard time asking some of those questions. I have, I have a, constantly people, I've I got a question to ask you, but I'm kind of I'm ashamed to, to, to ask you this. And I'm like, well, ask me anyway. You can ask me anything. Well, you know, I, I just, I'm having question, I'm trouble, I'm questioning the existence of God. That's, that's a great discussion. You know, let me just make sure you understand this. God is very secure. And he's not upset if you question his existence. Now, he nonetheless is there and, and, and wants you to believe in his existence, but he's not like, oh, there's rich down there questioning my existence. Oh, my gosh. That's not, that's not God. He's not going to do that because he's God. He's all-powerful. Authentic faith is honest. doesn't hide from the hard questions. Authentic faith is communal. And this is the part that I want to just touch on again about the the whole thing of belonging. It's having fellow travelers on this journey of faith with whom we are in relationship with at various stages who who can gently encourage us, who can gently confront us, even even help stimulate those areas that that we need to grow in our faith. That's, that's, That's the sense of belonging that we really need. And it's really part of, of being a part of, whether it be a church or, or just a, a group of people who, who are like-minded in their faith. Authentic, authentic faith is communal. Authentic faith is active. Um, it's tough, you know? Authentic faith is tough. Real faith has ups and it has downs. It comes with questions. Sometimes it comes with doubts. It can wrestle with depression. It can, it, it can go, and it can go without, you know? Um, but it keeps trusting in spite of circumstances. That's what, that's what authentic faith really is. The Bible puts it very clearly. Let me just show you this. Keep in mind, authentic faith has inward deepening trust in God that has outward long-term behavioral changes. 
Here's what the Bible says, very quickly, very simply. Romans says this, thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you have obeyed with all your heart the new teaching that God has given you. With the heart, not just the emotions, not just the brain, but the, the, the word here, heart, the totality of, of the human, it's, it's who you are. It's what we read earlier. It's the totality of who you are. It's your heart. That's what God is looking for. Um, it, it, Romans 10, next, next, a few chapters later in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. 1 Thessalonians, for we speak as messengers, we who have been approved by God to not, uh, excuse me, we, have, who, we who have been approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motives of our hearts. God examines the motives. And that's part of what this whole thing of true faith is. It's, it's, the, it's the heart. You know, I had a discussion some time ago with a friend, a good guy, he's a rabbi, he's a rabbi, and we were talking about the differences in Christianity and, and, and Judaism, some of the differences, it's particularly since Christianity, in a sense, came out of Judaism, in a sense, don't take that too far. But we were talking about that, and I was talking about motives. And, and, and he's the guy, and we were talking about the whole illustration of, 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 of you know, lusting in your heart after a, after a woman or a man that's not your, your wife or husband. And I, and I was explaining to him that the, the Christian teaching is, Jesus, of course, he doesn't accept Jesus' teaching. He's a Jewish rabbi. But I mean, he, 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 I said, you know, the teaching there is that Jesus says that, you know, if you lust in your heart after a woman sexually, you know, that's a sin. And he, would, and he says, well, see, that's where we differ. Because in, in the, in, 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 at least in his interpretation of the Jewish faith was, you know, we don't care what you think and we don't care how much you lust. We don't want you to do that. We don't want you to follow through with it, but it, it doesn't matter if you, th- if, you, if you think about that and, you know, dwell on that. It doesn't matter as long as it's just in your heart and you don't act upon it. Well, and that's, I said, that's the big difference because Jesus says it does matter. It's not just about that, but it's in money, many other areas of your life. By the way, if you don't, you know, if you don't, I think Jesus, Jesus' words are a little more effective. If you doubt Jesus' words, you know, go home and tell your wife, you know, honey, um, I love you, but there's this other woman that I've been watching, and she's really beautiful, and I really am lusting after her, and I think she's just terrific, and, and I hope you don't mind, but I'm just really thinking about her all the time. See how that goes over, okay? Just see how that works. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't need a phone call this afternoon, all right? Um, but you understand the point. Jesus says it goes much further than just the action. It's the motive. Last passage in the Bible, and then I want you to hear a song. For this reason I also suffer these things, and I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able. Who have I believed? He's believed in Jesus. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. What have I entrusted to him? My soul, my life. I know who I believe. I believe in Christ. And he's able to guard my life, my soul, that I've entrusted to him until that day, the day that I go to be with Christ, whenever that might be. Authentic faith, let me say it again, authentic faith has an inward deepening trust in God that has outward long-term behavioral changes every time. I'm going to get the band to come up as I pray and, and sing a song that just, I think, puts it all together for us. So just listen closely to this. Let me pray as they walk up. God, these are valuable, valuable truths. Help us, Lord, to take them to heart. 
I pray, God, that you would give us authentic faith through a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ as he is able to give us the ability to change the desires sometimes that need to be changed and to live a life that will certainly please you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.